And this morning, the title of our message is Investing in Eternity, Part 1. <laughs> wasn't initially designed to be a two-part sermon uh, this morning, but I, I woke up at 4.45 this morning, and I went down, I got my coffee, and I was praying over today, as I do every Sunday morning, and I really felt the Lord was impressing on my heart to split the, the message that I had been working on all week into, into two messages and kind of elaborate more on each part of this. So that's what we're going to do this morning. This is part one of uh, what I've titled Investing in Eternity, and there's four things that we were going to look at this morning, and this morning we're just going to look at two events and how they connect to this theme in Acts chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 11 this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 19, right where we ended last week. And Luke, who's the human author of the book of Acts, is giving us a little kind of historical editorial note right here. He's just spent a long time recording this narrative that we've talked about for the last several weeks, went all through chapter 10, the first 18 verses of chapter 11. We, we talked about that in the last three sermons. And so as he concludes that whole narrative story, he inserts here in verse 19, Kind of a, a parenthetical note, if you will. Here's what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen had traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, here's what Luke is pointing out to us on the heels of everything that we had just seen in Peter's encounter and in the, going to the house of Cornelius and Caesarea and all of that type of stuff. What Luke's reminding us of is what had taken place up to this point in the initial missional push of the church was that the believers who were in Jerusalem, who had come to faith there, as we read about in the first several chapters of Acts, when persecution started, they had to flee Jerusalem. And it's those everyday, average, regular believers, if you will, who took the message of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem into all these other places. They were, they were literally running for their lives, but wherever they ended up going, they would tell people, of the Messiah. They would preach the name of Jesus and how he had died and risen from the dead, and they were sharing the gospel, but they were doing that with just the Jewish people that they encountered. And the reason is simple. Like we've talked about in the last several weeks, these people were, like Peter was, people brought up in a certain tradition, a certain kind of uh, religious worldview that meant we can only interact with certain types of people. And so even as new believers who understood we need to share the message of Jesus, they, they only thought in terms of sharing the message of Jesus with other Jews. And so what the enemy was trying to do in Jerusalem was stamp out Christianity from the start. It was, he was trying to press down and crush it inside of Jerusalem. But in God's providence, as he applied pressure in Jerusalem through persecution, all the believers just spread out. And the gospel began to move into new locations. The church grew even bigger as these people left and went to other places. But despite all the incredible good things that were taking place as these people were going as a result of fleeing from Jerusalem, God had even better things in store. Remember, the gift of salvation was never in God's plan just for the Jewish people. It took the early believers a little bit of time to grasp that. It took Peter all the events of Acts 10 that we just talked about, right? And this is years after everything that took place at Pentecost and the re after the resurrection of Jesus and all of that. It took time for it to happen, but this was always God's plan. And so Luke inserts that parenthetical there in 19, and then he tells us what else happened now following Peter's report to the church in the next two verses, Acts chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. It says, but there were some of them, 
men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. That means the Greek-speaking people preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So here in verse 20, what Luke is telling us is that there were some people who, who had left Jerusalem and who were going out as a result of that persecution, fleeing from the persecution that had started with the death of Stephen and then Saul's persecution there. Some of those people who went to Antioch in particular began to share with Greek-speaking people. But notice, Luke doesn't tell us who they were. His whole descriptor of them is that they were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. There's no names given to us. So what that tells us is this was not one of the apostles. This wasn't even one of the 120 initial disciples who were there the day of Pentecost. These are just, again, if you will, kind of regular, everyday people. In this case, people who had come to know Jesus, who had grown up in Cyprus and Cyrene, who grasped what Peter had been taught by God in Acts chapter 10, and believed that so much that when they got to Antioch, they thought, we're not just going to share the gospel with Jews, the people like us, we're going to share with the Greek-speaking peoples as well, people of Roman descent or other countries that are in this metropolitan area of Antioch. They took to heart the theological truths that Peter had understood and then shared with the church in Acts chapter 11, and that had practical impact. Theology should always have practical impact on us. It's not just enough to have head knowledge of something. When we are taught something in Scripture, it's designed to be worked from our head to our heart and then out into our lives. And it was with these men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They went out. They shared the name of Jesus and how he is Lord over all things to people of different backgrounds, different languages, different cultures in that city there of Antioch. And the Lord blessed that work. He turned, the text tells us, a great number to the Lord. So again, when we hear something like that, it's easy to read that and think, okay, cool, and have that as knowledge. But that knowledge should move to our hearts and result in us praising God because what that text says is God was active in saving people. He was active in expanding the church beyond just a small group of people in Jerusalem. He was bringing that grand promise of salvation coming to all the nations, people from every tribe and language and tongue. He was bringing that to pass all through, notice, these men whose names we don't even know, who were just obedient to the Great Commission command, go and proclaim the name of Jesus. Make disciples wherever you go. And they did that without any prejudice, without any pride holding them back. No partiality when they got to Antioch, and God blessed it. So I want us to understand this this morning. The first way for us as followers of God to invest our lives into eternity is by understanding that all believers are called to personally proclaim the message of Jesus to others. All of us. That's a very intentional word that I put right there. Because this is a, something that every one of us are called to do, no matter if our names will ever be known or not. Maybe we're like, we're going to go down like these unnamed men, right? Just people from Cyprus and Cyrene, just people from Nelsonville and Philadelphia and Palmyra who would go out and faithfully share the message of Jesus with other people. When we do that, I want you to understand when you do this, when you share Jesus, you are doing something that has value for eternity. It's an investment in something that will not fade, that will not lose its value over time. Every conversation 
you have, every opportunity you take to obey the Lord and live out this great commission command of making disciples wherever you go, then you are doing something that is eternally, not just temporally, significant. No matter what the immediate results that you get to see or not see, you're making an investment in something that lasts far beyond anything else you could choose to invest your time or your resources or your life in. Every time we obey Christ's command and proclaim him to someone else is an act of investment in eternity that is always worth it. Always the best thing you can do with that moment you have before you. We'll come back to this thought towards the end of the message, but there's something else that I want us to see, the second set of events and the second way of investment in eternity that we are going to look at as Luke writes these words in Acts chapter 11, picking it back up in verse 22. Now, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And I want us to just slow down one second here. We're not going to camp out long, but I want you to remember those same words were the words that we found in verse 1 of the start of this chapter. And at that point, when the church in Jerusalem heard of what God was doing in the Gentiles through Peter, the response to that was accusations and condemnations from a group there in the church of Jerusalem, right? They were scandalized that Peter had gone and shared the message with the Gentiles and then ate with the Gentiles and then invested in the Gentiles. And so when they heard, they began to complain and make accusation against Peter. But as we saw last week in the sermon that we looked at those first 18 verses, God exposed the sin and grew the believers past those holdups they had, the sinfulnesses of pride and traditionalism and partiality. And then here he graciously in verse 22 is giving that same group of people there, the, the church in Jerusalem, another chance to respond to the news that God is at work among the Gentiles, this time in, in Antioch. And so here we see this reaction. The last part of verse 22 tells us, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. The response this time from the church in Jerusalem was not one of judgment or worry or discomfort, but rather, they responded with joy and excitement and care about these new converts they just heard about. The church in Jerusalem decides, we are going to send to these new believers way up in Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, we're going to send one of our best that we have to offer, a man who's called Barnabas. Now, I want us to focus on Barnabas for just a second until you understand what sending Barnabas really meant for the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas, his name is actually Joseph. It's a very common Jewish name. And he's referenced several times throughout the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts. We find a lot of reference to him. We know that Joseph was born of the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe of Israel. That was his lineage. But he was actually born into a family that was living on the island of Cyprus. So likely that means his ancestors somewhere up the line a little bit had been displaced from Israel into Cyprus because of exile, because of persecution maybe. They had to, to flee at some point. But it seems like they went there and then decided to settle there and actually became somewhat established and fairly successful in their new life in Cyprus. We know this because in Acts chapter 4, which is the first place we meet Joseph or Barnabas, it's noted he sold a piece of land and gave all the profit of that, sold it, gave all the money to the apostles for use in the church at the very beginning of it. 
It's an incredibly generous thing to do. And it reveals to us he was a man of some means. If he was able to own property, they must have had some some wealth, at least, that he had inherited or something like that. I think this land was likely up there in Cyprus. That's probably where he sold it, because Levites were actually prohibited from owning land in Israel, though at this time they'd really fallen away from that, and some Levites did. So, so maybe the land was there in, in uh, Israel. Maybe it was up in Cyprus. We don't know. doesn't really matter, because the point was Barnabas showed such great generosity and a desire to serve others as he was becoming part of this new faith family of people following Jesus, that he would sell the land he owned, which is, which is everything for you. I mean, that's your livelihood, that's your inheritance, that's your security. He would sell that and give the money to the church. Joseph was pretty likely either converted at Pentecost when Peter preached that first sermon and 3,000 people believed, right? We read of that at the beginning of Acts. Or he was saved just shortly after that time as the message of Jesus was spreading throughout the city of Jerusalem and there was the continued preaching of the apostles and all these people coming to faith as we read about in Acts chapters 2, 3, and 4. But the most notable thing about Joseph that we have before us is that even very early on, There was something about Joseph that really stood out. He was a very encouraging person. He's one of those kind of people who just build up everyone around them, right? It was so much a part of who Joseph was that the apostles just take to calling him by a nickname, Barnabas, which literally means son of encouragement. Now, it sounds like a funny nickname in our language, right? But this is pretty common in Hebrew culture and Hebrew language. Remember, um, some of the disciples of Jesus, James and John, were, were called the sons of thunder. That was the nickname Jesus gave them. Why? Well, because they were pretty boisterous and intense character, probably kind of loud, right? I mean, even Simon himself, we don't really refer to Simon so much when we talk about the chief apostle. We talk about Peter, which is his nickname, means rock, right? So this idea of giving a nickname was very common in Hebrew culture. It would have been a challenge for me. I'm not a nickname person. I don't like nicknames, as Malia's family can tell you. Um, They are all about the nicknames. You introduce somebody with a name, they're like, oh, great, and they start coming up with nicknames. And it makes naming my children very hard, I tell you. (laughs) Because I can't just settle on a name. i got to think, okay, what are they going to call him? And I thought, oh, we're totally safe with Noah. How are you going to nickname Noah, right? No, 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 Nuku. I'm like, what is all this? Like, Noah, just two, two syllables. It's just this. Anyway, anyway. Biblical precedent for nicknaming. So Joseph, because he's such an encourager, is just known by that. They just call him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And incredibly, it's, it's this same man, Barnabas, who we're told about in Acts 9, after Saul's radical conversion, right, and then he goes into the wilderness, he spends time in Arabia learning from Jesus, goes back to Damascus, has to flee Damascus because people are trying to kill him there. He goes to Jerusalem, and if you remember, everyone's scared of Saul when he gets to Jerusalem. Nobody wants to talk with him. Nobody wants to risk getting together, hearing. I mean, he says he's a Christian, he says he's encountered the risen Christ, but nobody wants to take the risk of doing that, except... Barnabas. Barnabas meets Saul in Jerusalem, hears his story, encourages him, then takes him and introduces him to the apostles. And I think it's pretty likely that Barnabas was part of the group, however it worked out, that decided, hey, we need to send Saul off to Tarsus because the Jews here in Jerusalem are trying to kill him too. And for his safety, we've got to get him somewhere else. And so I think Barnabas was instrumental in that as well. Now, knowing all this about Barnabas and who he is, When you read that simple line there, that the church sent Barnabas, it shows us what a great change had taken place in Jerusalem now, right? 
Just a few verses before, when they heard about Peter, they were complaining. They were struggling to understand. They were confrontational. Now they hear God has saved Gentiles in Antioch, and their first response is, who's the best guy we can send to encourage them, to build them up, to disciple them, to invest in them? It's got to be Barnabas. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. What an incredible change has taken place in the church there, and what an incredibly (laughs) generous thing for the church to do, right? In the last several years, church planting has become a a big kind of push um, in in churches. And what some churches will do is they'll go, yeah, we want to plant churches, and so we're going to raise up a a pastor to send to be this planting pastor, we're going to send a team of people with him. So that way he's kind of gets hit the ground running, got people, got volunteers all set in. And the temptation, I can tell you for sure, for a pastor is to look at the membership roster and go, now who are we going to send with our, our church planting guy? Well, not them. They're really, really invested here. <laughs> not them. They're good tithers. Need them to stay. Not, you, know, like you go down the list and you don't want to send your best. I mean, you want to send some good people, but not the best, right? But that's not the church in Jerusalem. Now, who can we send? We'll send Barnabas. That's who they send to Antioch. That's how excited they are about God now, the work that God's doing. Now understanding what God is doing, they want to invest the best that they can send. So that's how Barnabas ends up in Antioch. He goes there, he meets with these Gentiles who are converting to Christ, and as they hear the gospel, Barnabas is doing what Barnabas does. He's encouraging them, he's exhorting them, he's teaching them what following God means. And and he continues to preach the gospel there in Antioch, and even more people start coming to faith. God's just blessing this work up there. God's saving power is, is being pour, so poured out in the city of Antioch that Barnabas realizes there's, there's I mean, I'm a natural encourager. I'm building up everybody I meet, but there's, there's too many for me to do this alone. He needs help to disciple these believers. So we read in verses 25 and 26 what Barnabas does. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. It was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. This is such an incredible testimony, I think, when you understand what's going on here, to the way that God works in this world. And reading that, like I talked about last week, should be one of those moments where we read that and then our response is to glorify God and to praise Him for how He works. It was God's sovereign hand that created a little boy who grew up into a man whose God-given personality was to be such an encouragement to people that by the time he's a grown man, people are just calling him son of encouragement. God built this person this way and then used him not only to save Saul's life when Saul came and everyone was afraid and and we got to do something, let's get him sent to Tarsus. It was not only that Barnabas was instrumental in that, but then years later now, when Barnabas is at Antioch, and needs help, needs someone to come and help him disciple these believers, he thinks of Saul, he goes to Tarsus, and he brings Saul back with him to pastor these people in this town of Antioch. And in doing so, has no idea what that will mean for all of church history, but in doing so, brings the man who we will come to know as the Apostle Paul, who writes so much of the New Testament, who is the missionary par excellence. All of it through the actions of this one man, Barnabas. Incredible. God working through this situation is incredible and should bring us to a place of wanting to just glorify and praise God for his sovereignty and how he works in this world in ways that none of us would ever figure out. None of us could have planned that. But this was God's plan. So I want us to understand then, 
as you see Barnabas and Saul come to Antioch and spend this whole year there pastoring these people, teaching them the word of God, helping them grow as disciples. I want us to see how this ties into the second point of this main idea that we're looking at this week and next week. Saul and Barnabas invested in eternity by giving their lives to ministry. They followed the leading of God to set aside their own preferences, their own personal pursuits, even their own property, their places of residence, and they were both willing to move to Antioch in order to pastor a church of brand new converts in the midst of what was the third largest Roman city at the time. Not easy ground to go to. But they resolved, we're going to invest our lives in eternity through giving our lives fully to ministry. And here's what's so incredible, is that some people are still called to that today. This is the second point I want us to get. Some believers are called to give their whole lives to the work of ministry. Now, I said earlier, the all of the first point was intentional, and the sum of this point is intentional too. Not everyone is called to this in the same way. Not everyone's called by God to what we refer to often as vocational ministry, a life fully focused on ministry work. Not everyone is going to be told by God that they need to go somewhere else away from family and friends and homes, the places they were raised to give their lives fully to the work of ministry. In fact, God calls most people, most of you sitting here in this room who grew up in this area, he's called you to other vocations, other jobs, and he wants to work through you missionally, yes, to spread the gospel to the people in your circle, but the calling on your life wasn't to uproot and go somewhere else. He planted you here and he designed to grow you and use you here in the public, in this community, in the businesses that you're engaged in. The Bible's clear. Not everyone is called into formal ministry offices. There's clear qualifications and evidences of that kind of call. They're laid out in the Bible. But don't miss the reality just because most people are going to be used by God where he has them. That there aren't still some people who are called like Saul and Barnabas were, to a life of full, fully devoted to ministry, to go somewhere else to minister to God's people. As I reflected on this text and thought about this, I can feel like I can kind of relate to what Saul and Barnabas must have felt and considered when they were faced with this call to go to, to Antioch in response to what God was doing there. I've felt the same call that, that they felt to, to go and invest my life in eternity through giving myself fully to the work of ministry, making disciples through pastoring a church, a group of believers somewhere. Now, we're not told in the Bible how the conversations went for Saul and Barnabas, what their family and friend structure was, was like. And so when they, they say, hey, we're, we're considering going to Antioch and you know, all this way away, and I think we're going to have to give up everything, sell everything, move away from all of you. And, and this isn't in the day where you know, it's just a hop, quick plane ride back. You're talking weeks of travel to get from Jerusalem to, to Antioch. Hey, we're going to go somewhere far away and, and do this to serve God. We, we don't know what everyone said around them. We don't know how those conversations went. But I could tell you about the conversation and how it went when Malia and I went through this, felt this call of God to, to follow him to somewhere else. When I felt the, the clarity and the call of the Lord to leave Evangel Temple in Springfield, Missouri, Malia was very, very supportive, which is a huge blessing. We didn't know where at that point when we felt this kind of release and this call to pursue God's leading to go somewhere else and pastor God's people somewhere. We didn't know where that would be. We didn't know how long it would take for him to show us that next step, but we just wanted to be open to him and wanted to follow him. And, and Malia was incredibly supportive. I can remember Malia telling me, she says, honey, I will, I will go with you to the ends of the earth. Wherever God leads us, wherever he wants you to pastor, I'm with you, I'll support you. And that was so encouraging to my, to my heart, right? Because we're talking about a big change. 
We're talking about, I mean, who knows where we're going to go, where God's going to send us. And, and that support that she gave to me in those early days was just it was amazing. I'm grateful to this day to hear her say those things. And there was Malia, who was so instrumental in encouraging me to, to talk with Dr. Ray Brewer. He was, um, she, he, we were in Columbia, and she said, why don't you just go over and talk to, to Pastor Ray? And, and he wasn't our superintendent. We were ordained, uh, licensed through the, the Southern Missouri District, and so we had kind of a, a different group of people who we would have turned to, really, for that. But she thought, hey, it's, it's good to have someone praying with you, right? And, and just, why don't you go? He's an old family friend. And so, great. I went and talked to, to Dr. Brewer. He was so encouraging to me. We prayed together. It was, it was a very nice time. Well, a few weeks later, after all of that took place, we're, we're back home in uh, Springfield, and, and we're still open. We're still just kind of waiting for, okay, God, you know, we, we want to follow you wherever you say, and where, where do you want us to go? And, and Dr. Brewer calls me one evening. I, I was in the, I could, if we had the home, I could take you into to our home at the time, and I could show you right where I was, the guest bedroom. I had my desk there where I was, I'd already worked all day long, but I came home and was working again because that's what I did. And uh, I'm sitting there doing some work, and my phone rings, and it's Dr. Brewer, and he says, hey, I am on my way to meet with the deacons in Nelsonville, Missouri. And I've been praying about this, and I really feel led of the Lord that you might be the right man to go there. And uh, I wanted to share a little bit about the church with you. And if you're interested, I'd like to give them your name and, and put you guys in touch. Would that be okay? And so we talk a few minutes, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I, that'd, be, that'd be wonderful. And so I kind of agree, yeah, you know, give them my resume, give them my name and everything. And um, no conversation with Malia at that point. So I realized very quickly hanging up the phone, oh, I better, I better let Malia know what's going on. So, so I go out in the living room. She's in the living room sitting on the couch, and uh, we sat down, and I said, hey, Pastor Ray just called and uh, told me about this, this opportunity, this pastoral position that may be, may be opening up. He's going to uh, give my name to. And she, she responded. It was great. She said, that's awesome. So let's pray about it right now. You know, he's on his way there. Let's just pray for that meeting and for the Lord to lead in that. Where is it? And I said, uh, Nelsonville, Missouri. She said, well, uh, let's look up Nelsonville, Missouri. I, I, I'm not familiar with, with where that is. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I mean, she, we've been around North Missouri a little bit, not too much. So, okay. So we opened up Google, search Nelsonville Assembly of God. Nothing. <laughs> I had nothing at all. So I'm like... Well, it's got to exist. He said he's going to Nelsonville. So, so I'm looking it up, and I go, okay, well, here's what we can do. I, I have an idea of where it's supposed to be, and so I just open up Google Maps and start zooming in. Okay, up Highway D. So it's supposed to be like right about here. Zoom, 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 zoom. Oh, look, there's some satellite images. Our first way of ever seeing Nelsonville. Satellite images from Google kind of showed the, the church buildings and everything. Like, well, there it is. And so we're looking at it. That's our first glimpse of Nelsonville. I'm showing Malia. This is where he's going. This is what he's... What he's going to talk to them about, and her response was, no way. Her exact words, hard pass. We are not selling everything, leaving our home, our access to food. Where do they go for food? There's no grocery stores around. No, we're not going somewhere that you can't find except by satellite image. No. So I'm sitting there thinking, um, I thought the whole to the ends of the earth thing? Apparently Nelsonville's just beyond the ends of the earth. Okay, all right. But through the leading of the Lord and him confirming it to both of us, we felt like by the end of a couple conversations, yeah, this was where God was calling us to go. And so we were excited for that. And we did what Saul and Barnabas would have had to do all those years ago. We sold the house. We left the place that had been our home for over a decade. We moved here in response to the call of God to make disciples of his people in a different place and for me to serve and lead this church as pastor. Now, later in the series, we'll, we'll get to the fact that the life of ministry that Saul and Barnabas were called to was not just a pastor in Antioch. They spent a year there doing that. But then the call turns to something else, and they actually get called to go by God into pioneer missionary work 
to travel and to go take the gospel to brand new people and places well, well beyond Antioch. And I'm grateful that God still calls people to that same thing too today, aren't you? We just celebrated last week being part of sending out two new teams to do missionary work in places far beyond Nelsonville, Missouri, right? Whitney Cravens is in Poland right now. She is serving the Ukrainian refugees that are there and plans to get into Ukraine just as soon as the current conflict there allows for that. And we're a part of sending her and supporting her on the field. Tech and Megan Carpenter, who we said last week, we're going to be supporting are headed to Ecuador and heading there to take the gospel to an unreached people group in that country. And there's many others we support too. On a global scale, we support people like Logan and Shannon Nash, who are living in Botswana, Africa as missionaries, sharing the gospel with the local people there and training up local pastors and church leaders. We support Phil and Kim Rojak, who are in Papua New Guinea right now as missionaries, focused on reaching the local people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, called to leave everything from here and go somewhere so far away. Brianna Johnson is currently on the field in Ivory Coast, Africa. She's being trained uh, there through a missionary team that's on the ground, and she's being immersed in the language and the culture so that she can be prepared and ready for this lifetime of ministry service that she feels the call of God to go and do in Africa. We support Brett and Donna Daly, who we prayed for earlier. They're working hard. They're stateside at the moment, working hard to get back to the Republic of Georgia, where their plans are not only to continue reaching the peoples that are there in the Republic of Georgia, but planting a new church in the capital city of Tbilisi. We support Keith and Delcy Garner, who are missionaries, who left pastoring a church just over in Quincy, Illinois, to respond to the call of God to go to the Philippines as missionaries to share the message of Jesus Christ with the people there. And we'll actually get to see them the first week of July. They're back stateside right now, and they're coming to visit us the first week of July to hear about what God's been doing through their missionary efforts. Not necessarily world missionaries, but somewhere pretty far away from us here um, are Pam and Tracy Hodges who we also support. They're living in Alaska, reaching out in Alaska to remote villages, to places that the gospel has never gone before. You think, oh, they're part of the United States. Surely they have the same things we're accustomed to. They don't. There's people there in this massive landmass of Alaska who have never heard the gospel, who are completely unreached, and their mission is to go and reach them. And they're doing that work. And there's several more that we support too. Many other missionary organizations and other works that we support that are helping push the gospel forward in great ways today because the, the, the whole central idea here is that God still calls people to give everything, to fully invest their lives in the work of ministry. Just like he called Saul and Barnabas. He's doing this same thing today. It's not a calling everyone has. Not everyone is even qualified biblically to serve in some of these roles. But God continues to spread his gospel message and call people to be part of that work all around the world. And that's incredible and should be encouraging to us and should get us excited that what we read about in the Bible is still going on today. So I don't ever want us to think, because this second point is true, that God calls some people to the work of fully committing their lives to ministry, that that means the first point, your personal responsibility, my personal responsibility, just as a believer, not not with a title of pastor, not with my ordination, not with the training that I've had, just as a follower of Jesus, the common universal call on all of us to share the gospel is still true. Sharing about Jesus personally is the responsibility of every follower of Christ. This is the... The job, really, is getting you to that point, getting you to live out that responsibility is why God calls and sets aside some people to the work 
of ministry, who give their whole lives to make disciples, who are you, people who are to go and make other disciples. Like my whole life is set aside to do what Saul and Barnabas were doing in Antioch, to teach the church, to proclaim Jesus' message in a public way, where I'm standing behind a, a pulpit telling you the word of God week after week. This is part of what he's called me to do in a public way. And then in a private way is to equip you to help train and build up the disciples who are really serious about following Christ and being obedient to his commands personally. So last week I talked about how we need to recommit and refocus on the primary things. Right? We need to refocus on our mission, on our commitment to pursuing growth as disciples. And in being people who are quick and intentional to glorify God as we see his work in the world. And this week, the challenges for us to consider today are this, in the form of two questions. How are we doing at personally sharing about Jesus as he commands us to do? A question you have to ask yourself, a question I have to ask myself. How are we doing at personally sharing about Jesus as he commands us to do? And second, the question to ask ourselves is, are we ourselves open to following the leading of God, even to a life fully focused on ministry, if he were to call us to do that? That's not just a question that one of us needs to ask, that I needed to ask in my life. It's a question every single believer needs to ask, no matter what stage of life you're in. You may think, I've, I've got this career path. I've got this trajectory in my life. Or I'm retired. I've already done all of this stuff. You still need to ask yourself this question. Are you personally open to following the leading of God, even if that meant a life fully focused on ministry? Would you follow him? Would you go? Would you do what he said? Because the reality is God calls all his people to proclaim his message in the circles of influence that he gives to us. Absolutely. And he still calls some people to step into more dedicated ministerial roles too. And there's about an eighth of our world missionaries, according to the statistics that I've seen, who came into being a missionary later in life. Having already had a career, already had a life trajectory they thought they were going down, felt the call of God, and then went back and got the education, got the training, made sure they were qualified, and then went and became missionaries. At least an eighth of our missionaries on the field have that story. That could be yours. Could, could be like Randy and Carolyn. Retires and decides, yeah, now let's build a ministry in Guatemala. <laughs> and God's call isn't, isn't related to our age at all. So we need to be asking ourselves, are we willing to follow the call of God, even if that meant to fully focus our lives in on ministry? Because the calling that God extends doesn't just go out in bigger churches or in places more centrally located or at special events like big camps or conferences. The call of God, bringing someone into ministry, putting that burden on their heart can happen even in obscure places in small contexts like Nelsonville, Missouri too. So I've shared this story before in a business meeting, actually, but I want to share it again today as we conclude to illustrate how this could look, how this has looked from here in Nelsonville. You can see the reality of what I'm talking about played out in the story of Hetty Steffen. Hetty was born January 20th, 1901. She grew up in this area right here around Nelsonville. And in December of 1923, she was actually one of the founding members of this church. 
as a Christian, she was committed to obeying the commands of God that are just laid upon every Christian, to share the gospel message that she herself had believed, the salvation she had received, to share that with other people. And later in life, she would talk about how she did that. She led friends and family members here in this area to Christ. She just wanted to invest her time in this area while she lived here in this place to have an eternal impact. And so she wanted to obey the command of Christ, share the gospel, and did so in this place. And then in January of 1925, just one year and one month after this church was founded, she stood in a business meeting before the congregation and said that she felt the call of the Lord to go to India as a foreign missionary so that she could share the gospel with people in that far, far away foreign land. She wanted to invest the years that she had ahead of her in her life in an eternally significant way by going and serving as a foreign missionary. And this church, in that very meeting, voted to support her, that they would take her on as our first missionary. The members of this church agreed, we will give of our finances, of our resources, so that she can go and tell other people about Jesus, even though this church was just beginning, just being built, just kind of being planted and watered. Like if, if you think about the garden, right, it's just barely seeing any green come up. And the members of the church said, yes, but we want to invest in eternity through her work in India, and so we'll send her and we'll support her, and our church did. We became not only her sending church, but a financially supporting church while she went to India and spent the next 13 years of her life on the field in India doing evangelism and helping the local churches there. Now, I love the story of Hetty Stefan. I came across it kind of as a as a side note to research that I was doing, looking at the history of our church, and I saw the name, and I remembered a scan of that original member's ledger, and I thought, that, that sounds familiar. And I went and looked, and sure enough, there's her name, and there's her name in an AG publication. And so I reached out to the archives at the Assemblies of God headquarters, and I said, help me piece this together. Is this the same person? Did this person go to the mission field? And back and forth with the archivist, and yes, she was this heady from right here, who went and did this, and they told me all about her work, and it was, it was incredible. I love that because this story is so personal to us, right? And it shows, beyond the shadow of a doubt, God can use people from right here. Amen. She was born here. She was part of this church. She was sent out by this church, supported by the people of this church. So what an incredible gift of God that we can hear this story and think, wow, that's part of the legacy of this church right here in Nelsonville, Missouri. And as amazing as I find that, what I think is also pretty incredible, maybe even more incredible, is that wasn't just a one-time thing for this church. I mean, if that was, if, if from Nelsonville, one person felt the call of God to go serve as a missionary and went out and was sent and supported to do that, we'd think, man, that's incredible. But, but it wasn't just one time here. <laughs> because Morgan Malloy is one of ours too, right? As a young woman, she too felt called to go serve Jesus in a missionary context. So she too was sent out by this church. And supported by this church in 2015, the church said, yes, we'll support you, we'll send you. And so we did. We sent her to Chi Alpha Missionary Work in Columbia. And still to this day, we support her work as she's out there spreading the gospel to this time not having to go to the faraway places to tell someone about Jesus, but they're coming to her to go to university. It's just incredible. So look, God uses people from places like this. He uses people from this place. It's not theoretical. So when we ask that question, don't ask that question assuming you know the answer. 
God, are you calling me to give my life fully to ministry? Well, no, surely not, because I'm in Nelsonville. Maybe he is. Maybe you're the third story that we are going to get to celebrate one day. So this morning we celebrated graduates moving on in various, various stages of their educational journey. So as I close this morning, I want to speak directly to the, to the high school seniors for a moment. I want to challenge you. Invest your life. Whatever career path you're getting ready to head down, invest your life in ways that will matter for eternity. No matter what you plan to do, where you plan to go to school or what job you plan to, to take or whatever the future you think in your mind looks like for you, be committed to being willing to follow the plan of God for you and invest yourself in eternity. Wherever he sends you this fall, he's sending you there so that you will share the gospel, just as everyone who's sitting here is here today because he intends for us to share the gospel. So understand that calling and understand that only God knows the full plan for your life. I know some of you have, have a plan. I was talking to, <laughs> we were talking last night, and we're talking about schooling and degrees and all the plans that you have. And okay, here's what's going to be, and here's how much it may cost, and, and how I'd pay that back over years, and all this different stuff. And you've got this plan laid out, right? But only God knows the full plan. So, so I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be awesome if you're going to go be a dentist. That's fantastic. But here's what I know. Morgan went to college not intending to be a missionary. And it was there that God called her to give herself to missions work and started this trajectory in her life. That could be true of any one of you, heading off to college, heading into the workplace, whatever it may be. And, and maybe, maybe this is scary to you, but I'm praying God would do that. <laughs> I'm praying God would raise up people from this church again. Maybe your high school senior is graduating now. Maybe it's kids that are coming up into the next couple years. Maybe it's some of you who are already established, already have your plans and your trajectory set in your mind. I'm praying God would start to call people from here, from Nelsonville, to a life of full devotion to ministry. It'd be a joy to get to help you develop and train and grow through that as I continue to focus on the primary mission of making disciples here in Nelsonville, Missouri, who are going to be real faithful disciples who are going to share the gospel wherever God places you. Worship team, would you uh, come this morning? You're going to lead us in a final hymn, hymn number 57 in your book. We're going to sing three verses from it. And I want you to hear again the challenges, and I want to put them into the first person so that you can think about them as we prepare to sing and respond this morning. Ask yourself this, how am I doing at personally sharing about Jesus as he commands me to do? And am I open to following the leading of God, even to a life fully focused on ministry, if he called me to do that? I pray that you would honestly, humbly ask the Lord to help you think through these things this morning and respond in whatever areas of your life that he wants to grow you in. Maybe there's going to be some conviction. Maybe it's going to be a little uncomfortable to, to feel what he may be actually calling you to do. But don't run from that today. Don't try to escape this time of responding to God, these moments in his presence where he's going to work on us. Let's sing, let's pray. The altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray up here, you're welcome to do that. But let's take a few moments to respond to the word of the Lord and the challenges he's put before us today.